So yeah. it's it's not that you want to turn off the anxiety per se. I think it's more that you want to redirect the thought patterns that are leading to the anxiety, right? So which is where what we would do then is we would do the mental shortlist, which I love because a lot of people, again, with anxiety, they have what's called a high need for cognition. They tend to be active thinkers, right? Like their wheels are turning, which is a great thing. Uh, we just don't want them turning on the wrong thing. I'm Krati Mehra, and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy, and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness, because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Welcome back to Beyond the Goals. This is episode number 34. And today we are going to discuss how best to manage anxiety, nervous energy, and cultivate calm to optimize performance. An incredibly relevant topic, relevant to all of us because we all have goals that sometimes require sacrifices that may jeopardize our mental, physical, or emotional health. Let's face it, we have all at times chosen to prioritize our work over our health sometimes out of necessity, sometimes out of choice, which is why I love having experts on the show who can help us do what we need to do to accomplish said goals, but without endangering our health. And today's expert, Dr. Chloe Carmichael, has released a book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. And during our conversation, she helps us understand how our anxiety can in fact be an asset, how best to manage it so that it doesn't negatively impact our performance. In fact, By employing the tactics shared by Dr. Chloe, you may even be able to use your anxiety to enhance your performance. Now, if you're not already familiar with our guest, Dr. Chloe Carmichael holds a doctorate in clinical psychology. Her private practice focuses on stress management, relationship issues, self-esteem, and coaching. Dr. Chloe is also a consultant at Baker McKenzie, the third largest law firm in the world. She's an advisory board member appearing for Women's Health magazine and a featured expert for psychology today. She's also been featured as an expert on VH1, Inside Edition, ABC Nightline, and has been quoted in the New York Times, Forbes, Vanity Fair, Shape, Cosmopolitan, Rolling Stone, and other print media. Apart from Nervous Energy, Dr. Chloe has also written Dr. Chloe's 10 Commandments of Dating, How to Stop Getting Hurt, Put Yourself Out There, and Find a Relationship That Lasts. And in today's episode, she's going to help us understand how best to cultivate and maintain balance even as we continue to hustle for our goals and how to manage the anxiety and restlessness that is a constant companion in our journey to set goals. Thank you so much Dr. Chloe for making time for this conversation for being here and I'm super excited to have you here. I've started reading your book. I have listened to other interviews as well and I have to say I am super thrilled that you're here because I think that what you are sharing through your book through your interviews through other content that you're creating is something so incredibly relevant and so useful. Thank Uh, you. Yeah I think it's going to make a huge difference and uh, I have to say because the way things are set up now because of our hustle culture i think there's there's you know there's almost a deliberation about the way we keep supporting our needs to our professional goals our uh, financial goals and i think even our relationships uh, to a certain extent and some of it i think is because of what we need or what we think we need to be happy 
uh, and is therefore you know our priority but a lot of it i think is just it's just become our culture it, the absurd working hours like if you're not working uh, all day long you're not doing enough and then if you're not sidelining your emotional and mental health it's like it's not enough so <laughs> i know that you are you have an expertise on this subject because you deal your your clients are people who have that kind of lifestyle so can we talk about that can we talk about why people keep you know they get addicted to this hustle culture why they get addicted to this dysfunctional way of life and what you can do to get off the treadmill what you can do to slow things down yeah sure so i i think one of the important things to note is that actually the ability to you know put off immediate impulsive pleasure in service of a long-term goal is actually a skill, right? So a lot of people really need to learn that skill. However, some people almost get too good at that skill where maybe it's been a rewarding and fulfilling and even positive experience to learn how to, you know, put aside a momentary pleasure and keep working, you know, towards a bigger goal. But again, once we get too good at that, then we just start doing it by default to the point where we actually, you know, lose touch with the joy of the goals or with the joy of the reason why we're doing them in the first place. So for people that are stuck in that kind of sand trap that you mentioned, I would first want to start with a with a compassionate acknowledgement of what's happening. I, I would I would not want them to kind of almost like beat themselves up for, you know, getting too stressed out and for getting into, you know, um, almost like just like a bravado of, you know, as you said, like, if I'm not stressed out and tired, then I feel like I'm not doing enough. And when they realize that that's not the headspace that they want to have, um, instead of beating themselves up for it, I would just invite them to compassionately recognize that they're actually coming from a good place with a decent skill, but they've just come to overuse that skill. So I think also when you look at it that way, it's easier to dial it back a little bit because otherwise what people are afraid of is they say, well, I don't want to totally like forget how to make sacrifices. Like there's a value in that. And so they need to be assured that we're not going into some kind of a black and white thinking here where we're either all about future goals, nothing in the moment, or we're 100% in the moment and not thinking about the future. We want to just really invite ourselves to find the sweet spot in the middle. I, you are the expert here, of course, but you know I have studied uh, psychology and I've studied enough about this particular phenomenon to know that when you are maintaining a lifestyle like that, you are a lot of the time operating on adrenaline and fumes and you are just going, going, going. And that stress in itself becomes addictive. And a lot of people don't identify. You know, we sometimes say that it is just this period of time. I need to put in these hours so that I get this done. Then I will, you know, slow down. But that time never comes because that's just by the end of that particular period, that's who you've become. And you almost kind of need that pressure you need that stress because the other end of the spectrum is where you are no good. You are absolutely not able to do get anything done unless you have that, you know, that almost 
how do we put it like that almost crazy uh, hectic deadline oriented schedule so uh, can you shed some light on that so that people are able to see you know identify some patterns and relate to that perhaps sure well you're absolutely right you know that that it can become addicting and again i i'm always an optimist right so like on the bright side if, if you're, you know, almost addicted to the thrills and the ups and downs of, of, you know, meeting your goals, we don't want to stay in that space because there's obvious problems of, you know, just getting burnt out and depleted there. But on the positive side, it means, you know, that, that, that you're good at what you do, that you're engaged in what you do, right? Um, and, and that you are able to get revved up by it, you know, that, that you like to work hard and play hard. But maybe you just forgot about the play hard part, right? So we just need to balance it out a little bit. How do we do that? One of the things that I think can be helpful is to actually put a little bit of the same energy and focus on some of our hobbies or leisure activities that we put into our work, right? Because a lot of us don't feel maybe like those things really matter as much or, you know, they're just indulgences. And sometimes really recognizing that those are actually very good recharging, refueling activities. They're good for your self-esteem. They're good for your wellness. Realizing that those activities have value can sometimes help to give people permission to do them. Now, that said, it can take more than just realizing sometimes. So what you might want to do is apply some of the same discipline on your, quote, play that you put into your work. So for example, you might want to say, okay, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to have a standing invitation for Sunday brunch at my house for the next six weeks. And I'm going to see how that goes. I'm going to tell all my friends and I'm going to send reminders and everything. So for the next six weeks, I'm going to try that, you know, or, um, you know, I'll, I'll enroll in a salsa dancing class or whatever. And programming it into your calendar is a nice thing to do because then it stimulates you to do it just like with work, we have deadlines, we have meetings at certain times, and those structure us and they keep us accountable. And we can layer in the same attitude, whether it be with volunteering or hobbies or social activities. Right. That That's, that's really good advice. And I think that would help if you were to like completely turn off that schedule for like a day or maybe for a weekend. That these, this advice could be really helpful. But uh, on an ordinary day, like on a regular day when we are working, do, is there anything you recommend that people can do to find some sort of some kind of calm within themselves, some sort of peace within themselves or little moments where they are able to relax so that they are not, you know, uh, just working on to the extent where they completely exhaust themselves? Well, I mean, again, I would I would try to check in with yourself, because if you're working at a fever pitch, I don't necessarily want to label that as bad, right? Um, you know, many people, including me even, sometimes will just get into like almost a frenetic state where we're working very passionately, sometimes even to the point of exhaustion, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, but there is, on the other hand, for me, what I've noticed, the tipping point for people is when they lose touch with the emotional connection of why they're doing what they're doing. So that's why 
in my book with my nine techniques and nervous energy, because that's what it is, is it's, it's that nervous energy, is we want to make sure that we understand why we're doing what we're doing. So for example, if you're working um, to support your family, you would want to make sure that you have some great photos of your family around you. So that way, when you're, you know, in the midst of, you know, all of your mental gymnastics and doing all these things, you don't just have this empty, like, you know, um, hamster on a wheel type of a feeling, but you have a sense of connection with why you're doing what you're doing. Another thing, you know, another approach, or maybe even an additional approach, rather than instead, I might think, and would be to consider scheduling like breathing breaks for yourself, right? Because again, it's actually positive that sometimes we can get so excited and into what we're doing that we can forget to eat or forget to check in with ourselves. And again, there's a positive aspect to having work that is so gripping and engaging. But on the other hand, you might want to have like a calendar event that comes up every two hours stimulating you to you know, you could watch my free, you know, breathing video. If people go to nervousenergybook.com and share their email, they can get a video for free of me leading them through just a nice breathing exercise. But also, I would say that even in those moments, you know, during those kind of long, hectic days, when you know that in your calendar, literally that Sunday, you've got that brunch happening, it makes those moments of long hours in a different context, right? Because instead of just feeling like you're laboring and laboring with no real end in sight, you have a sense of structure that kind of bookends like, well, this is my work time. And then, you know, for example, my husband and I actually have a little ritual that at the end of every day, we go for a walk together. And, you know, just knowing that you have these little rituals happening, they make the moments of work um, different because it's not just like work in a vacuum, it's work in a context that includes relaxation. Something else that I've done and that I've encouraged other people to do and they've enjoyed it is that you can program, you know, your smart home device, my Alexa, I don't want to wake her up, you know, but like when you have that Google Home Assistant or whatever. Um, sometimes the brain just likes to have a little bit of a change and music can really set the tone. So you can program your smart device in a routine where say from eight to 12 every morning, it'll play light classical music. And then from 12 to four, it will switch to jazz, right? And there can even just be something about that change. And then maybe at five o'clock, nature sounds come on or whatever. So you can actually program your environment to start layering in little bits of relaxation or things that remind you to kind of come back into the moment. Right. I, I can, that makes sense. That makes sense. That would completely change the vibe you maintain as you work. Uh, and in fact, I think I, I should have started with this because I know that you work with type A personalities, you work with people and uh, with people who you know, by necessity or by choice have to maintain a certain kind of uh, lifestyle, certain kind of work schedule. And I know that through this book, you and through a lot of the interviews that you've given recently, you are suggesting to people that there is a way for you to almost like weaponize your anxiety, where you your anxiety instead of becoming this handicap actually ends up becoming a superpower. Can we talk a little bit about that? What that would look like? What sort of patterns you've seen? 
uh, with your clients once they've been through sessions with you. I love the phrase weaponize your anxiety. I love it. Because um, the idea is, yeah, that you want to take something that many people are assuming is bad, you know, like, oh, I have anxiety. And instead of, you know, really reframing it and realizing Mother Nature gave us anxiety for a reason. It actually can become, it, it is a source of energy. The healthy function of anxiety is to stimulate preparation behaviors. And what makes me sad is to see people wasting that extra adrenaline and that extra energy just getting anxious about the anxiety, right? It's, it's such a waste. So um, definitely, we, we want to recognize that a lot of times, a little bit of restlessness or anxiety um, is, is a gift. We just need to point it in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people can get confused after a while. They start thinking that the anxiety that they experience in certain scenarios is almost a part of their personality. It's who they are. When in fact, that's not actually true. Your anxiety is simply, a, again, correct me if I'm wrong because you're the expert here, but anxiety, I think, is a, is a response to certain triggers. It's not who you are, but when you get that attached to what you recognize as a problem in your life, I think your responses are just going to be just as negative as you identify the problem to be, which is, uh, again, I think something that you are helping people reframe through your book. Yeah, so I mean, that's an interesting question. You know, is the anxiety part of who you are? Um, no, probably not. However, um, it is a natural offshoot and even a healthy offshoot of who you are. So for example, people that might have a very high level of trait conscientiousness, right? right? A very high level of attention to detail and a personal drive for excellence those people might be prone sometimes to experience anxiety because they might be constantly thinking about the future or a little bit worried and concerned about being on point and wanting things to go well. But what I want people to know is that that is not necessarily pathological, right? In fact, ironically, the time when anxiety often does become pathological is when people don't know how to use it effectively, right? So for example, let's just say I had a big test I had to take tomorrow, and I was feeling anxious and a little jittery about it, right? If I just then became anxious about my anxiety and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so jittery, why am I so nervous about this test tomorrow? Look at my hands, they're shaking. Oh my gosh, I feel sweaty. Oh my gosh. And then I'm just reacting to the reaction, you know, of, of what I'm worried about. And it's not helping me at all on my test. However, on the other hand, if I were to say, wow, I'm, I'm feeling a little zinged about my test tomorrow. I've certainly got some extra energy. My brain is already automatically focused on the test here. I don't even have to do anything to summon that focus. It's happening naturally. Um, you know, why don't I just take my extra energy and write down what I think are five questions that are likely to appear on the test tomorrow. And then I'll write down what I think could be some good answers for them, right? And then I'm actually venting out that anxiety in a healthy manner. I would consider it almost like if you're anxious because you've been sitting, not anxious, but restless because you've been sitting down all day, the thing to do is to expend that energy by going for a walk. And so if you're anxious about something in your life, a relationship or whatever it is, like my other book, Dr. 
Chloe's 10 commandments of dating is one that I will tell people to read if they come in and they're like, oh, I'm so anxious because I'm worried about being alone. Instead of having a thousand therapy sessions about the fear of being alone and why are they afraid of being alone? I'm like, why don't we just do something about it? Why don't we see what behaviors you can do when you're feeling anxious that would decrease the chances of you being alone. Right, right. This uh, this makes a lot of sense. So what we are doing here is we are reframing, first of all, how we perceive our anxiety. We are changing that from a problem, from an issue in our life that needs to be managed to something that's actually helping us perform at a, at a sort of a, an amplified level, right? Exactly, exactly. And again, the irony is, is that if we don't do that, then that's when the anxiety just sits there and builds and festers and gets stronger because you're beginning to sense that that you're not making any progress towards your goal. You're just saying you're feeling jittery and then getting anxious about that. Meanwhile, you're getting further and further behind on your goal, right? So ironically, it's actually failing to respond to anxiety the way it was intended to be used that is oftentimes what causes us to get stuck in that festering pent-up anxiety space. Right. And do you think if we were to do that, if we were to obviously uh, any new habit, any cultivating any new thought process takes time. So if we were to invest time, energy into it, practice it on a daily basis, do you think this could actually help people avoid those panic attacks that they have at, you know, always at a very inconvenient time or avoid all of those paralyzed, like how they get paralyzed by fear when they're about to step on stage or something like that? Do you think that it could help you avoid all of those extreme reactions? Yes, I do. I, I, I know for many people, you know, myself included, my clients included, it definitely does when, when we give ourselves the, the right way to use that anxiety. But like you said, it definitely takes time, right? These are new habits that you're trying to build. And so one of the things that I encourage people to do um, is when they notice themselves using their anxiety in an unhealthy way, instead of like snapping at themselves and saying like, oh, I'm doing it again. That's so bad. You know, here I go again. I'm, I'm just wasting my anxiety. I'm just sitting here, you know, stewing. This is so unproductive. And then like getting into a negative um, track about that observation. I would encourage people instead when they make that observation and that awareness about themselves, what you should do is you should congratulate yourself because awareness of the issue is a huge step forward that you were able to have that awareness in the moment. So I would invite you in those moments to congratulate yourself, take a deep breath. And then, you know, I would love if the person had, we actually have bookmarks as well for my book that have all the techniques listed on them. So if somebody could have something like that handy, or if you know what techniques tend to work well for you, then you could invite yourself, you know, to, to try a new technique in that moment. But definitely to, you know, totally understand that it does take some time to change your patterns, but you'll be most successful in changing your patterns if you don't get hung up on negativity when you see yourself, you know, relapsing. Right. And do you think understanding the root cause of anxiety, because I think anyone who has anxiety, anyone who has a stress response of that magnitude where you end up identifying it as a problem, there's always a story, you know, there's always a story or there are always personality traits that are 
I don't want to say responsible, but that are part of that that whole uh, scenario, that whole mental setup. Do you think understanding where all that restlessness, where all that anxiety comes from? Because there are people who perform insanely well. Like I perform extremely well when I'm on stage. I love it. But before I step on stage, I'm always very, very nervous. So, you know, th- there's always a story there. Do you think that could help people like identifying where your anxiety is coming from, where your restlessness is coming from? Yeah, I I do. And so in my book, that's why I actually have three main characters, right? So there's, there's William, who's the scrutinizer. And so, you know, he's almost like would translate in my practice to the type of person that might have like generalized anxiety disorder, something along those lines, where it's like, you're just a constant worry wart. You're just constantly worried about this and that and the other thing, right? Um, Which, as I explain in the book, there's positive sides to that. There are some people who actually need to worry a little bit more. They're kind of bumbling through life without, you know, really thinking things through, right? So um, if, I call him William the Scrutinizer. Um, And then there's another person, there's three characters in my book. The other person is Christina, who's the OCD queen, right? And she gets obsessed with things, obsessed and compulsive about everything, which again, has its positive sides. She's the person who always double checks her work and, you know, triple prepares and organizes her notes by color code. And so it has some positive sides to it until she gets into situations where it's impossible to double check everything or you know maybe she's got focused and obsessed about her ex-boyfriend and it's no longer productive and then there's a third type you know which i call greg who is grinning and bearing it and you mentioned panic attacks and he in my experience is the most likely type of person to have that the grinning and bearing it the person who's just always smiling saying everything's fine then they like have these random panic attacks and they're like well where did that come from and a lot of times in my experience the people who have panic attacks are the people who are pushing out awareness of their stressors and that's why those stressors you know sneak up on them unconsciously so to your point about understanding you know the roots i do think it's important to understand your tendencies right to understand how you tend to deal with stress and then that would help you to shape okay well what are the good things about the way I handle stress and then what are the areas where maybe my own techniques which are helpful to a certain point and then they're going haywire at a tipping point to get to understanding you know what those tipping points are. Any techniques you would recommend that would help in this process? Yeah so I mean as you said, understanding like the the nature of it. So, for example, suppose that you know you, um, as you said, you you got really anxious like before you go on stage, and then everything's fine, right? Yeah. So there's actually a healthy factor, right, to feeling like pumped, a game, super focused, can't think about anything else, and even having some extra energy right before you go on stage, right? So that can be a positive thing. But if you know that you have a tendency to get into a negative monologue about that and to be bothered by that or distracted by that extra energy somehow, then you might want a thought replacement like, you know, this is my normal healthy adrenaline boost. It's going to help me bring my A game. 
this is my normal healthy adrenaline boost. It's going to help me bring my A game. And you would just repeat that to yourself, you know, several times to interrupt a negative internal monologue about, oh my gosh, I'm going to pieces. Why am I so nervous? Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Like those kinds of thoughts, you know, would, would not be helpful. So to understand, as you said, the underlying reasons why you're anxious. So for example, if you're going into a big meeting and you're, you know, super nervous about it because, you know, maybe you have imposter syndrome, right? And you have this belief that maybe somehow, you know, you're not really qualified to be there and it just sneaks up on you this, you know, belief before you go into a big meeting, then that person might want to have thought replacements like, you know, I'm completely qualified, you know, for this job and to, you know, assume otherwise would actually be insulting to the people who hired me, you know, or some, some other type of thought replacement that would help you to flip the script and ground yourself. Or again, if you know that before your big meetings, you just are someone who has that tendency in the fight, flight, or freeze thing that you just tend to get small and go into shallow breathing for no real reason, except that it's just what you do when you're going to be going under pressure. And it's almost just like a caveman trigger response. Then what you would do is you would make sure that your pre-meeting routine includes like the three-part breath and different things that would help to make sure that you're just even on a body and physiological level, keeping yourself open and well. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And Everything that you've recommended, it makes sense to me that if people were to do this on a daily basis, it would change their relationship with anxiety. Uh, but as you said, sometimes we have compulsive anxiety. We double check everything. We obsessively go over details. And it can be definitely it's a strength. Like when you travel, I think this is something that keeps you safe when you're traveling. But what I want to ask is that after all is said and done, you've done your part, you've double checked, you've triple checked. How do you then turn off that anxiety? So it's it's not that you want to turn off the anxiety per se. I think it's more that you want to redirect the thought patterns right. that are leading to the anxiety, right? So I, I like the way that you highlighted that, right? That there is a healthy function to it to a certain point. So you've had that anxiety. It's prompting you to do all your double checking to make sure your itinerary and everything is where it should be. But then you're like, okay, well, now I'm just keyed up about this trip, but I know I've reviewed it and I know that there's nothing more I need to do, but I'm still just feeling really keyed up and my mind is just in a cognitive habit of just auto-tracking onto this trip. You know, what can I do? What I would suggest is another technique from my trusty book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, which is where what we would do then is we would do the mental shortlist, which I love because a lot of people, again, with anxiety, they have what's called a high need for cognition. They tend to be active thinkers, right? Like their wheels are turning, which is a great thing. Uh, We just don't want them turning on the wrong thing. So when you realize that you've thought about the trip, you know, enough, then you would give your brain a list of five good things to think about instead. And that could be anything from, you know, your holiday and birthday shopping lists that you're always behind and scrambling on at the last minute, maybe get ahead on those, you know, maybe if there's like a certain website of, you know, new restaurants that are opening in town, if there are like a little hot list of like, 
friends and family that you never call, but you know you should, on your mental shortlist. And I do encourage you to write it down because it, it, you know, it, it can sound so normal and straightforward and obvious when we have the list in front of us and when we're in a calm state of mind of like all the other great things that we could be thinking about. However, what's interesting is that when we get really anxious, our vision narrows. It's harder to think of those things. And I mean, literally, even our physical vision can narrow as well as our mental vision to the point where all we can see is that trip, right? And that's not the time to try to brainstorm or recall, like, what were those other things I should be thinking about? It's so much better if you do yourself a favor and have a good mental short list of five topics written out for yourself so that all you then have to do is redirect that energy. Because once again, if you think about it, just having a bunch of energy and being keyed up, it's not a bad thing. It can be a gift. You could go to work on, you know, that list of birthday gifts or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really good advice. And I think this interview is like a foretaste to what your book is all about. And you, I know, go into much, much more detail. But just to like inspire the people who are listening, because I know this, all of this, everything you're recommending takes time to change behavior of this nature takes a lot of time. So the people who like the clients that you've worked with, can you like share any before after patterns that might inspire people? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, so one of the stories I share in my book, for example, is about a young person, and I just named him Sean in the book. Obviously, I anonymize all the stories, you know, but um, a person that was targeting a promotion, right? Um, and he was just really nervous about the promotion to the point where he was just kind of chasing his own tail. Like he showed up at my office just looking like very stressed. He did not look like the kind of person that would be really promotable, right? He looks more, you know, like right. frazzled, right? And so when I ha asked him to describe, you know, why, what was the concern, you know, he listed out all the factors, you know, like, well, he made a mistake on the job a couple months ago and he was worried about that. And, you know, he was like, oh, I don't have the alumni connections that I think the hiring committee needs. And, you know, we, we listed out all of the things that were on his mind. And when I say listed, I do mean list because high functioning, intelligent people, we can have so many mental thoughts about things, but it's more than what we can really hold in our working memory. So if right. we want to actually have a good ability to strategically evaluate things, it's very helpful to write them down. So we had him write down all of the things that he was concerned about, all the factors that could affect whether or not he could get the promotion. And then we divided them into the things he could control and the things he could not control. And then he was able to point his energy only at the list of things that were in his control. And just the simple act of having that organized, I think, gave him a great deal of relief. He started acting a little bit more calm. He had more of a strategic focus. And then he was certainly more productive at making sure that he was going after, you know, the things that, that he needed to be doing. So that would be one example. But... I think another, you know, to your point, Krati, that it's it's not always easy to make these changes or to stay focused. We do need to give ourselves time um, and sometimes also community. 
So to that point, there's a couple of, you know, things there. I would love to share, you know, with your listeners totally for free. If they want to DM me, I'll give them a free, you know, membership into my insiders club, which is where I have like, you know, some videos available. And we sometimes have like little community things. I think it can be really helpful to have community and to talk about what you're doing with other people. That's actually one of the interesting things about mindfulness is that when people do any kind of mindfulness or mental work, the ability to share and talk about what they're doing really helps them to crystallize it and to consolidate that learning. Another thing um, that I think is really helpful, and I do this myself when I'm trying to learn or master something, is I try to immerse myself in it. And so for that reason, I was really insistent with the publisher that we needed to have an audiobook as well. So I, I love the paper books, but I also have many clients that like to just listen to my book on audiobook because that way, just like while they're walking around or whatever, you don't even have to be totally focused on it. But it's just kind of running in the background and helping to subtly keep you focused on these changes that you're getting set to make. And I mean, again, like there's, I also share some stories in the book how um, sometimes I think it's helpful to give yourself a little bit of latitude or leeway in certain parts of your life when you're trying to grow or change in other parts of your life, right? So if doing some of the exercises in the book, like that zone of control thing I just described, where you have to list out all the factors and then it separate them into what you can control and not control. And then you're also supposed to list like what are the actions that you can do. So that way, whenever you feel anxious, you see the actions that you can do. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fair amount of work, right? So what I encourage people to do is like, for example, go to a nice bar and restaurant, right? Treat yourself to a nice meal and a drink while you, you know, do that exercise, right? So you can give yourself little rewards in certain areas while you're trying to build your discipline in other areas. Yeah, all of this is really good advice. And in fact, I think having your book handy and being able to read all of those stories would help because when you adopt all of this new behavior, what happens is when the, the going gets tough, you tend to give up. A lot of us do, I think. Uh, but I think having your book handy and reading all of in fact, on your website, reading those uh, reviews, reading those comments can also be very helpful because it gives you an idea of what it is that you're fighting for. So I think that would be great. Um, do you think it helps to communicate your anxiety to your colleagues and to uh, your uh, whoever it is that you live with? And do you think that helps? Well, I think that depends, right? Like that's a really interesting question. So um, if if you're communicating it um, without any sense of you know what what you want to do about it, right? Um, you know, that that's a different situation than if you're communicating it with a sense of what you want, you know, to be done, right? So for example, let's say that you work in retail, and it's like, you know, your your store is just not making any sales, instead of just, you know, walking around on the sales floor saying, Oh, my God, there's no customers in here. This is this is awful. There's no customers, you know what I mean? <laughs> then it's like, you're, you're not really helping the situation. And it's almost like you're using other people as a way to just help you dwell on your anxiety in a, in a non-productive way, right? But like there would be a slight adjustment you could make there, which would be to either say, you know, 
I'm a little nervous about the fact that there are not any customers in here. Let's brainstorm some ideas. Like, what could we do? Like, should we, like, put some stuff on social media? Should we, like, try to stand out in front of the store? Should we, like, plan an open house for the store? Like, what could we do, right? So if you can ever try to put that little spin on it of saying, like, what could we do about it? Let's brainstorm. Let's collaborate. So that way you're not just almost like a drowning person pulling other people down with you, but you're saying more like you don't have to have the answers, but you could say what's, what's, you know, irking you and then say like, let's brainstorm some ways of how we can work on this. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant because, you know, anyways, the people around you are going to become a part of your anxiety reactions because it's going to happen. It's so much a part of you that it is going to come out and people will have something to say about it. So what you've recommended, I think that is helpful. And instead of letting people make what they will of it, and a lot of people will misunderstand it because not everybody has anxiety, not everybody understands it. I think if you are open about it and if you are, you know, you take the initiative, I think that could really help. It has helped, certainly helped me. And I think it might help the listeners as well. I think so too. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I would just want to also share. I know a lot of people who are high functioning are also sometimes afraid to ask other people for help because they're so used to being self-reliant, you know, which is a great thing. Yes. Um, but it, it's often helpful to know that in fact, asking other people for any kind of help can actually bring people closer because what you're doing is you're paying them a compliment. You're saying, you know, I see you as somebody that, you know, is resourceful and I want to talk about this with you. And again, especially if you're not just coming in saying, there's no sales, you know, like, but if you're saying like, there's no sales and I'm trying to think of what we can do, like, you know, can you brainstorm with me? Or like, suppose that you have a big meeting coming up and you're like really anxious about it. If I went to you and said, you know, Kati, I'm so nervous about the big meeting. Would you mind if I like gave a mock presentation to you? And so when you, if you can tell people what would help you, um, then you're actually just making it easy for them to do you a favor and people, many social psychology studies show that asking for favors and doing favors brings people closer. It improves relationships. Uh, Because I know there's a physiological aspect to any mental health issue that you might have. Uh, So do you think there are any particular activities that you would recommend to help manage that? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I was a yoga teacher before I was a psychologist. So that body-mind connection, I think, is so important. Um, So for example, if you even just think to yourself, like, okay, what are my physical telltale signs when I'm anxious, right? For some people, it's like butterflies in their stomach. For some people, it's, you know, just like feeling their body get kind of cold. Whatever it is, I would invite you to learn about that, to know what it is, because sometimes your body will tell you when you're starting to get anxious or nervous before your mind really even fully realizes it, right? So I remember when I was interviewing for graduate school a long time ago, um, I noticed that when I would get really nervous, I would just actually start to get really cold and I would I would kind of like get small, which is not the energy you want to bring into a graduate school interview. You know, you want to be warm and vivacious and all of these things. And so, you know, I was able to even engineer my anxiety sometimes 
or rather manage it or shape it by taking what I noticed about the way my body responded to anxiety and taking care of my body. So by all, I would always have like a shawl, I would always have some hot, you know, tea and different things like that. And then by creating comfort for my body, I was able, you know, to bring a better mental game. But another interesting thing about it too, is that like, if you know that, you know, maybe you get that like pit in the feeling of your stomach when you're talking to somebody that, you know, it feels like they're talking down to you or making you feel inferior, then you would want to be very watchful. And when you get that little feeling, then that would be your clue that you need to take a deep breath, re-engage your eye contact with that person and pivot right onto your talking points, right? So definitely that that physiological connection is, is really important. Another thing with that is that it, sometimes people say, well, I don't know, like, you know, how to deal with it. I don't really understand my anxiety, but I just have this pit in the feeling of my, in my stomach and I don't really know what it's about. I actually will sometimes invite people to just sit down and get into like a quiet meditative state. And then I know this sounds weird, but like actually dialogue with that anxiety. So like it's it's physically present somewhere in your body. So you can become curious about it. You can say, okay, well, if it had a color, what would it be? Is it pulsing? Is it static? If it had a temperature, what would it be? Almost like you're studying it. And then you can really start to dialogue with it and say to the anxiety, you know, what is it that you want? You know, what would make you feel safe? Where do you come from? Another thing that can be very helpful, I think, with the physiological parts of anxiety is that when we feel those things, if you have certain, you know, hallmark things that you always get, is to also ask yourself, what is my earliest life memory? of having that physical feeling. And sometimes that can trace us back to, as you were alluding to earlier, you know, the reasons, right? So maybe somebody would say, well, it traces me back to this terrible time in second grade when I wet my pants at the spelling bee, right? And so then like you would realize like, okay, well, I'm like reliving that moment unconsciously every time, you know, that I'm about to present, right? Yeah. And so sometimes it can cue you in to what earlier moments you need to revisit. Yeah. this. This is such great advice. And I think it would also give people a lot of opportunities to work with their anxiety instead of just, you know, treating it as this alien thing that takes over their brains every time they're about to do something super important. So this this is definitely we want to treat it with compassion. We don't want to like shout it down because then we just really get at war with ourselves. Um, you know, one like final thing I like to do with that anxiety is in, in that dialogue is is to really ask it, you know, what can I do for you? And and would you be willing to try something different? To say to the anxiety, I know you're coming from a good place. I know that you just really want me to do well. And that's why you're, you know, putting out this type of energy. Um, but, you know, we have the same goal. We, we both want, you know, that meeting to go well. So I hear you and the message is registered and I'm in agreement. But would you be willing to try a different technique than just constant criticizing because I'm afraid that could become counterproductive to our goal. Would you be willing to try something different? And a lot of times the anxiety will actually say yes. And again, to your point, it's like we don't want to shout it down or make it something alien 
because it's coming from within us. And there's usually some kind of a logical reason it's there. It's just a part of us that's been misunderstood. Yeah. I really hope people use all the advice that you've shared and you know, embrace this attitude that you brought to this conversation, because I think when you get to the other side, life is just so different then and so much better. You do, you're capable of so much more when that happens. Uh, so I know your book is like an awesome resource. So anything you want to say about the book or any other resources you want to recommend that may help people, uh, you know, work on everything that we've discussed today? Yeah, thank you. So the the book, obviously, um, the book, the book, and the book. Um, so you know, it's on Amazon and you know everywhere that books are sold, um, hardcover or um, Audible or Kindle. And then also, as I mentioned, I have this thing, it's called the Insiders Club and some Facebook stuff. So um, you can just message me directly right through any of my social media channels. I'm on all of the social media channels and, and I'll you know set you up with just a free membership so that you can check it out. Um, and to the idea as well of just you know trying to kind of immerse yourself and surround yourself with something. Um, I am, as I mentioned, on like every single social media. So if you want to just follow me and connect with me and I'll start popping up into your feed, you know, with, with little bits of my perspective in life, I would love to be able to share. And certainly the one little favor I would ask is that if anybody out there does get the book and read it and enjoy it, um, it would help me tremendously if you would give me a good review on Amazon. It helps me so much um, in the algorithms and that goes for all social media if you you know like comment share my posts it helps me to get the word out there so thanks for that yeah i will make sure to you know share all of these links and uh the one question that i ask all my guests if you were allowed to only give one advice to the listeners that could help them enhance their life what would that one advice be i would ask them to remember that the healthy function of anxiety is to stimulate preparation behaviors. Awesome. <laughs> but this was so great, Dr. Carmichael. This was amazing. And thank you so much. You made anything you want to add? Uh, no, I would just say this is my pleasure. And, um, you know, again, if people are listening to this and not necessarily visually viewing the show notes, um, Dr. Chloe, I'm on uh, all that social media is Dr. Chloe Carmichael. And the book is Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. And of course, my other book for singles is Dr. Chloe's Ten Commandments of Dating, where I take that same approach of saying how can we do this how can we be productive and i apply it to dating awesome i will share all of this as well uh, thank you so much for uh, making time for this conversation this has been great thank you the pleasure is mine thanks again take care that was the amazing dr chloe carmichael if you want to know more about our guest or you want to explore the resources mentioned during the episode the links will be in the episode description if you want to dive into similar content, go to my website, pratimehra.com, and there's a whole bunch of them for you to explore. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. Now, I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.